Uh, last week, I talked about this picture in the background, and it was just the beginning of a, of a series of messages that we're going to look at just called Perspective. And how sometimes we look at things one way. I look at this and I see a weed. Um, my friend looked at this. He took a picture and someone wanted to buy it from him. Um, how sometimes perspective can completely change uh, the way we perceive things. And so we're looking at some, some things that, that we've seen in life. Last week we looked at limitations and how limitations God can often bring us to to guide us or to bring us to a place where we're trusting him more. Um, but how what we the way we view things might change the way they present themselves in our lives, or even the way at which uh, we continue on. Uh, so I just this morning to get our brains engaged, I came up with a couple of perspective things. So go ahead and go to that first slide, Irene. Uh, perspective. What do you see? This is we can talk out loud. What do you see? A young woman. Does anybody see anything other than a young woman? Okay, you see her bonnet. Now, I want to show you something. You said you see a young woman. So you're seeing a face looking this way, right? With a bonnet on her head. Now, what if I told you this was a mouth, this was a nose, and this was an eye? What do you see? An old woman. See, sometimes perspective... Changes allows us to see something different. Go ahead and go to the next one. What do you see? Do you see both? Optical and illusion. Some of you might just see one or the other. It says optical in the white and it says illusion in color. So uh, just go to the next one. And I'm going to tell you to look right here and tell me what you see. A face. Keep looking at it. What do you see? Two faces kissing. Does everybody see two faces kissing? Just keep looking at it. If you don't see it, let me do something. If I stop it right about here, there's a gentleman. And if I come over here, there's... Does everybody see it? If you don't see it, I've got it, and you can look at it later. But it's all about perspective sometimes in, in what we see. I mean, it's amazing how now when I look at that, I don't see a face. I always see two faces kissing. I don't see the one face by itself. Because all of a sudden, my perspective has changed as to what that picture really is. Perspective, it's an incredible thing. It's amazing how... When our perspective changes, situations and circumstances can be completely different. No longer one, but two. No longer a picture of a, of a man's face, but of, of love, if you want to say that. Two people kiss, oh, pastor showed two people kissing yuck on Sunday morning. Can you believe that? Perspective. Today I want to look at Perspective on greatness. What does the scripture say about greatness? I mean, all of us, we live lives and we, we, we hope that someone, somehow, some way, will be considered great. I mean, we like to be, you know, when we're a kid and we get our papers back, the teacher would write great at the top of the paper in a red pen. It would make us feel good and we'd put it on the refrigerator. We like 
the idea of being great. And I will say the world has a perspective on greatness, and the Word has a perspective on greatness that are going to be very different as we begin to look at them. What does it mean to be great? How do I become great? It's not just a question that I ask, but it's a question that we see Christ's followers in the Scripture, they asked it time and time again, almost to the point that they argued with each other like, I'm better than you. Who is the greatest is the question they wrestled with time and time again. The followers of Christ's greatness, it's something that we seem to want to figure out. I'm going to pray and we're going to be in Mark and we're going to go through the Gospels and look at these opportunities where the disciples are asking about greatness. But Father, we pray this day. We ask for us in this room that you would help us to see. God, these may be a a picture we've looked at time and time again. But God, I pray that this day perspective changes. And you help us, God, in what we see, in what we hear, in what we receive from you. We yield ourselves to you, God. Our minds, our eyes, our ears, we yield them to you. We submit them to you. God, for me, the words that I'm going to share, I submit them to you, asking for your very perfect, asking that as we leave here, Father, that we leave knowing what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I said this is something that that tends to come up often with the disciples, the idea of greatness. I mean, you get a bunch of guys together, what are we doing? We're telling each other why we're better than them, right? I mean, it's just this stereotypical men, you know? I tell you my fishing story, and then Walt's going to tell you about a fish he caught bigger than mine. I mean, it's just going to happen that way. That's the way it works. That's what happened with the disciples. They're walking together. They're doing life together. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Jesus asked the disciples this. Uh, They kept quiet. They were caught. (laughs) Because... On the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. I mean, just picture this. They're walking with Jesus. They're talking with Jesus. And their argument, the 12, is, hey, who's the best? Like, I'm the best? No, I'm the best? No, I'm the greatest? No. You know, they're all telling them why they are or what they've done or how come they're the greatest. That just seemed to be what happened. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12. Now, they never answered him, but he knew what they were arguing about. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. He said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me uh, does, does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Matthew chapter 18, another time. At that time, Jesus came to his disciples and he said, Who then? Jesus is asking them, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and placed him among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I want to look at perspective on Greatness. When the ten, this is in Mark chapter 10, when the ten heard about this, what did they hear? 
earlier in this, in, this, in this chapter, Mark chapter 10, if you want to look at it, James and John, they come to Jesus and they ask him, hey, can I sit on your right and left? They make this request, like when we get to your kingdom, when we get to the place that you're taking us, can we sit right there next to you? That was stature, right? I mean, you're sitting next to the king, you're pretty important. And so what happened was we see this conversation that's happening with James, John, and Jesus, and the other ten disciples hear about this, and they become upset. Mark chapter 10. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They're upset. I mean, how can you talk about who's the greatest? I want to be the greatest. Why'd you have that conversation behind our back? Jesus called them together and said, You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I talked about James and John, but this situation with James and John gets worse. Because in the book of Luke, we see that it wasn't just James and John who went to Jesus, but guess who went to Jesus? James and John got mom to plead their case for them. So rather than just being James and John going to talk to Jesus about where they sit, mom came. <laughs> he brought the hammer. <laughs> and maybe Jesus can tell us, no, what's he going uh, uh, to say to mom? And their mom comes. I don't know why I don't have that uh, in, in my notes. Mark chapter 10 um, the mother, or Matthew chapter 20, I'm sorry. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked, asked a favor from him. What is it you want? He said, she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. I mean, they got mom out. It's all about status. It's all about where. It's all about their understanding of greatness, Right? Greatness culminates by being able to sit next to the king. That's what James and John are convinced. That's their perspective. It's so important, I can't imagine, as a grown man asking my mom to plead my case. I can't imagine what I would do if I was dealing with something and mom called up to, to take care of it for me at this age. Me and mom are going to have a strong conversation after she butts in. I mean, but here's where we're at. I mean, they're just striving for greatness. Their perspective of greatness is about their place. It's about their position. This continues. Luke chapter 22. What's happening in Luke chapter 22? The Last Supper. Okay, the Last Supper where Christ is, is, is taking bread and, and, and he's taking uh, the cup and, and he's paralleling it to what's about to happen. It's this moment that we remember every first Sunday of the month where we have communion together. Uh, Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples. And what is the product of that meal? Luke chapter 22. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest, or which of them was considered to be greatest. 
Jesus said, kings of the Gentiles lord over it, lord over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? I am among you as one who serves. I mean, imagine this. I got to say, Jesus is way better than I am. I lost my patience at some point. I mean, they keep coming asking who's the best. And he keeps responding with, you don't want to be the best. You know, there's humility, there's putting others, all these things. And they keep coming asking that question. And so you have this meal, you break bread, you share a cup, and they're still arguing about who's the greatest. They still haven't allowed their eyes to see truly what defines greatness in the kingdom of God. They still are under the assumption it's about position or place. They're not understanding what Jesus has taught them time and time again. Jesus is pretty nice. I mean, we just had this awesome time, you know, we broke bread, we talked about this, and you're still arguing about who's the greatest. Wait, I just talked about him would die on a cross. My body broken, my blood shed. <laughs> you may not have fully comprehended that you were supposed to get it. And all you're doing is arguing about who's the best, who's the greatest. We need perspective when it comes to greatness. We need understanding when it comes to the call to be great. Because we still wrestle today. What is Greatness. How can I be great? We might define greatness as where we get in life or what we do or, or what we've accomplished. We may define greatness by how many friends we have on Facebook or, or by how many people shared the post that we shared last week. We may define greatness by, by the accomplishments or the things that we've done or, or, or my, my, my teacher writing great at the top of my paper, having straight A's or whatever else. We struggle with the perspective of what kingdom greatness truly is is what did jesus say about greatness what is his response to greatness his first example that we saw was said you must become like the children and then he says you must become like the servant what is he what is he teaching us what is he showing us the book of of Philippians. It's chapter 2 in that, in that book. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same uh, love, being one in spirit and of mind. Verse number 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is the formula for greatness? Well, it has to start with humility. We will never be great without first being humble. What did Christ say? Do nothing, or this is Paul say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves. Now think about that humility. We're talking about the mindset of Christ, it says later on. The mindset of Christ is valuing others above yourselves. Boy, if I reflected that kind of humility day after day. Where I'm living in such a way that know this life, it's not about me and it's not about how I feel or what I obtain, but I'm valuing the needs of others above myself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. What is my motivation? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You can do really good things with selfish motivation. You can do great things motivated by self. But self is the reality of sin. We talked in Sunday school. Self is what sin really is. Anytime it's mine, it's about me. Pride, Scripture talks about, comes before a fall. Pride rises up because of self. We prop ourselves up on things that we've accomplished. That's selfish ambition. Do nothing out of that. Consider others more valuable than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. What is true humility? Walt shared a story this morning of true humility. Recall the turkey on the road? What was happening to mom? I'm assuming it was mom. Maybe that's an unfair assumption, but that's me. Walt said he was driving down the road and he saw the turkey on the road because it was raining and she had her wings out protecting her young. Did mom care that she was getting wet? Dad was probably back in the trees underneath the shelter. (laughs) Considering the interests of others above yourself. I love it. That's a perfect picture of what this looks like in life. Mom is getting soaking wet so her kids don't. In my notes I said, the way we see this in life is through parenting. I don't know of another natural phenomenon where we see people or we see a a, a scenario where others value something above themselves been through parenting that's why i can sing the songs to frozen that's why we can sing what does the fox say and who let the dogs out elliot likes who let the dogs out right now so we play it on the radio so he stops crying maybe it's selfish i don't know Thinking of the interests 
of others more than your own interest. The church, this is a Pastor Steve pulpit moment. Give me, a, give me an opportunity to step on everybody's toes because I like to. The church is so self-driven at times. We're so worried about how things make us feel or whether things are going the way we like them. We're so worried about what we get out of it rather than what we're putting into it. We're considering our interests more than we're worried about the interests of others. And the church, it's really become a poor reflection of what kingdom living should be. Church should be about the interests of others. It's not about me. It's not about, did Walt sing the right songs or did Pastor preach the right sermon? Did he make me laugh or did he whatever else? It's about serving. Was the kingdom purpose accomplished? The coffee might have been too strong or it might have been too weak. It might have been too hot or it might have been too cold. It's not about that. Was the kingdom purpose accomplished? Was what God needed to do on Sunday accomplished in that place has got to be our primary concern. Considering the needs of others. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. What did Jesus say? Greater love than this has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. I mean, I can't think of any more way to put the interest of others above your own than to lay your life down for them, right? True humility is how we discover greatness in the kingdom of God by sharing the mindset of Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. What was his mindset? He's God, right? What does it say? He put away. He he did not consider with equality with God, something to be used for for his own advantage. He made himself nothing. How many times do we view greatness as nothing? When does the world tell you that it's great to become nothing? The model, the mindset of Christ is that I've got to become nothing. I, Steve, that's me, that's myself. It has to become nothing. That's true humility. That's laying down what I want. That's laying down where I want. That's laying down how I feel. I want to become nothing. Why? So the purpose of God can be fulfilled through me. I consider myself nothing. Kingdom greatness is only found Through humility. What does humility look like? In this scripture it says that Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. Now he was coming to be king. We would view king as great. But he took on the very nature. He made himself to become a servant. We talked about in, in Luke. We looked at that, that meal, right, with Jesus Christ and his disciples. Where he talks and he rebukes them about greatness. And what else happened at that meal? John gives us a different picture of that moment. 
Some people see things. Some people hear things. Some people have to learn visually. Some people can learn from the words. Jesus takes the word and makes it life before his followers. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal. Recall, we're talking about the Last Supper again, this last moment, this last time with his disciples. He got up from the table. He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus and his disciples came for a meal. There was a job. They weren't allowed to eat until their feet were washed. No one could have food until everyone didn't wash their hands. They washed their feet. And there was a servant whose job was to wash the feet of those who were at the table. Apparently that servant wasn't there. So they're all sitting at the table and they all know that the feet have to be washed before they can continue. Every disciple, every follower that's there knows that that nothing can proceed until feet are washed. And I just imagine they're looking at each other wondering who's going to do the job. I mean, that's the most humiliating place to be. They smell the food. The table's set. And they're just sitting. I'm better than Thomas. He doubts. He should do it. Peter's got a temper problem. <laughs> he probably needs to serve us all right now. Judging for themselves why they're too good for the service that has to take place. Judging for themselves why someone else, justifying for themselves, why someone else must get up in this moment. They're all sitting there looking at each other, judging each other, saying why the other, and this is Pastor Steve's interpretation, so so you can take it for what it is, but in that moment, that's what I see happening, and all of a sudden, Jesus steps up, and I'm guessing that, that they feel relieved because the Master's going to go find the servant is probably what's going to happen. And Jesus says, you've been arguing about who's the greatest. The argument's been about who's the best. The argument's been about who is, who is going to sit next to me or who gets to reign with me in my kingdom. The argument has been time and time again about which one of you is the best. And, and Jesus then takes off his, his outer cloak. He takes off what, what was and he takes on the form of a servant. The towel. That represented the servant. You don't get my words. I just see Jesus in this moment. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Maybe you'll learn from my action. You haven't watched me do this time and time again. I'm going to take on the towel, literally, and wash your feet. We see Peter says no, and Jesus says I have to, and that whole whatever else happens. Who is the greatest? The one who serves. 
The one who serves is the greatest in the kingdom. The king of the kingdom said, no, I will take the lowest place. The one who has to wash everything off your feet. You think your feet are gross. Walk around in sandals on dirt roads and see what happens. With animals as your transportation. Jesus said, no, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to take the servant, the role of a servant, and I'm going to serve you right now. Because we can't move forward unless we're all served. And Jesus said, I will model greatness to you by taking the lowest position in this room. I'll do what you don't want to do. Verse 12 says, when he finished washing their feet, he put his clothes, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do that. Greatness isn't measured by how many people are serving you. But how many people you're serving? Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to be great in the kingdom, and pick up the towel and start to serve. Greatness in the kingdom of God isn't defined by your crown. It's defined by your towel. Yes, he talks about crowns that will come when we get to his kingdom. And I, and I look forward to that. But greatness in his kingdom is not defined today by your crown, but it's defined by your towel. How are you serving? You guys can come forward. I got some towels this morning. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of towels that need to be picked up. I mean, there's lots of Serving that, that needs to be done. We're in rooms and situations and we all recognize the needs. Maybe in your life this week you were sitting at a table, figuratively. You were in a room where you knew there was something that had to be done, but for whatever reason you didn't pick up the towel you just waited for someone else. I'm going to tell you the perspective on greatness 
is that you pick up the towel. Consider others more important. Consider others more or greater than yourself. Consider their interests greater than your very own. Start serving in love, in the love that can only come through the Father. I promise you, if you try to serve from yourself, at some point Steve will rise up and say, I'm done. And you'll throw in the towel. But when we serve because we have the mindset of Christ, who he himself took on the very nature of a servant, who he himself, though he was equal with God, took on the very nature and served in love. Why? That none would perish. Why? So that everyone could have eternal life. Why? Because there was hope to be experienced. There was love to be made known. He said, we need to do this. I'm going to tell you there's a place in his kingdom for your service. I'm going to tell you there's a towel that's waiting to be picked up that God has set for you to use. And let me tell you, you're not too good for whatever towel he chooses. He might call you to wash stinky, dirty, nasty feet. But I'm going to do it in love. And I'm going to do it with joy that can only come from my King. And I'm going to do it with, with do everything uh, just with excellence and, and, and joy, knowing that God is fulfilling a good work, that somehow through my service, that somehow by my washing these feet, that by some way, that me considering their interests more than my own, that by some way, by me spreading out my wings and letting it rain on me today, that I'm doing a good work in the kingdom of God and God's purpose is being fulfilled and that when God looks and when God sees because I know he does that when he looks at me he says well done well done father I come to you this morning and I pray for all of us in this room God, I pray that you challenge all of our hearts with those situations. God, I think that everyone in this room, that we would strive to be great in our Father's eyes, that we would, we would be happy to be, to be seen and, and bring joy to our Father's eyes. And God, I pray that this day, as you, as you speak to our hearts, that you show us our towel. And God, I pray that as you demonstrate, as you reveal, that as you challenge, as you stir in our hearts to to pick up the towel, God, I pray that we pick up the towel and we use it to serve you and to serve others. God, that we don't just pick up the towel, but we use the towel for how you decided, designed it. I want to be great, Father. Help me to be humble. 
Help me to set aside my selfishness. Help me to serve effectively. They're going to lead us in a chorus. And I'll just say there's towels. There's service to be done. If you want to pick up a towel, you're welcome to. To remind you of the service of the King. If you want to spend some time with Him, spend some time with Him. If you want someone to pray with you today that, that you feel like, I, I can't or I haven't been able to, I'll be here to pray. But I want to serve effectively my King. Father, you see the towels. You know our hearts. God, we pray that for each of us that you would help self to go away. That, Father, that we could serve in humility and we could serve one another in love because of the will of God and the plans of God that are being accomplished in us and through us. God, make me a servant. Let my towel become filthy as I serve others in, in, in this world. God, let, me, let my towel be used. Let it not just be a decoration or an adornment, but something that is covered in my service. God, I pray for greatness for greatness in each one of us, for greatness in the kingdom of God. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this place. I thank you for this reminder. And God, I ask that in Jesus' name that we serve and we serve greatly, that we serve and we serve effectively in the kingdom of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you serve May you serve greatly. May you serve effectively. May you serve excellently. In Jesus' name. Amen.